Excellent. Well, yeah, uh, good morning. As uh, Mark said, my name's Simon. I'm uh, one of the leaders over at New Life Church, Biggin Hill, um, who send their... Pardon? Did you mention the prayer meeting tomorrow Don't forget the prayer meeting tomorrow night, okay? <laughs> prayer, <laughs> prayer is vital in the life of a local church. And I was so encouraged this morning when we gathered to pray at 9.30, just at the, the number of us that came, um, slightly chilly, but the room warmed up as the spiritual temperature went up. And as we prayed, so, the, um, the, so we warmed up. But it was just a great time of prayer, and prayer is so vital. So do get to the prayer meeting tomorrow night. There's nothing else that you're doing that's more important um, than being at the prayer meeting tomorrow night. And if you could pass that on to New Life, that would be awesome as well. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, as Mark said, we've, we've known each other for a very very long time. Um, in fact, when I moved to Swindon from Worcester, Mark and Jackie pretty much adopted me as a just-turned 19-year-old. I was a classic prodigal son, um, and not for them, but for the kingdom. And, um, and so what had happened, I just had spent three or four years really just um, going down a, down a road in my life, which was just unhelpful for me and those around me. And, uh, and I ended up in a bit of a position of desperation, if the truth be told. And um, the guy that had been leading the church in Worcester that I had been part of had moved to Swindon to plant a church four years previously. And um, my parents started talking to him and said, look, Simon's a mess. Um, could you try and sort him out for us? If we send him down to you for a year, is that enough time? Um, well, he's my father-in-law now, and I think he's still working on the job. But, it, but it, it was, it was, I went to Mark and Jackie, and every Tuesday night, they would feed me. Man, food is a powerful weapon in discipleship, okay? Because it didn't matter where I was at, I'd always turn up for food. And um, they opened their lives up to me. They allowed me to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, when I first, I'm not, now don't link ugly with what I'm about to say about Jackie, but when I first met Jackie, um, she was very heavily pregnant with Megan, their youngest child. Um, and so I never knew Jackie not pregnant. When I met her, she was pregnant. So in my mind, she's always pregnant. Um, and then she gave birth in February, and she suddenly wasn't pregnant. And she was so slim. And I remember once in their living room saying, Jackie, you've lost so much weight. She said, well, I have had, I've had a baby. And I was like, wow. And Mark said, she's got a lot more to lose. And I thought, in that moment, in that moment, I learned an important life skill. And important thing, things you do and don't say to your just given birth wife. Um, but they, they really opened their homes up to us. And Mark and Jackie saw something in both myself and Fiona way before we saw anything in ourselves. And they dared to make space for us in their lives, but in their ministry, to give space for us to step into things and step out into things, which is both humbling. I'm getting emotional. I wasn't expecting that. Um, it was both a real privilege, but also a risk from their behalf. And as we have journeyed life together, they've helped us process some of the biggest decisions we've ever made, including moving to India for six months. Um, They journeyed that with us the whole way, saying, guys, we believe in you. We know God's put something in you. We're going, we don't even know if we're Christians. And they go, no, but we know God's called you. Just go. But Mark, I don't know the Bible. It's okay. Jesus is enough. And then when we come into move to Biggin Hill, same conversation, really, and um, and and they just were so um, for us. And so when Mark said to me, Simon, would you come to the island and would you come and speak on one of the values in the regions beyond Booklet? I was kind of secretly hoping he was going to say there for one another's success, because for me, these guys have epitomised that in our lives. 
And we've been recipients of having people who have been there for our success and are still there for our success. And part of that is telling us when we're being Muppets. And that's okay. And that journey carries on. They still remind us that there are times you're being a bit silly, guys. Jesus is in you. The power that rose Christ from the dead is in you. Get on and advance the kingdom of God where he's put you. And that's what true friends are. So it's a real privilege to be here. I feel like I know you. And actually there are many familiar faces. I recognize Angus from Fusion a year or so ago. So if you haven't booked into Fusion, do that. Um, it's a brilliant thing. Those that were there, I met Isabel, um, Isaac, and Jonathan at, at Fusion. They changed my life. Um, and it, it, meant, it meant that when I turned up here, I was getting beaten up by children, which just made me feel at home, um, which was wonderful. Anyway, listen, we could go on for ages, but I really want to press on with what I believe God's put in my heart for us this morning. So we've actually been journeying through this booklet. If you haven't picked one up, there'll be some, I'm sure, at the back. We've been journeying through this book at New Life as well um, recently. And it's just been so, so helpful um, to get a glimpse and get an idea of the heart behind the movement that we're part of, the family that we're part of. And the thing is, values, they, they, they define the culture that we set. They're not a list of to-dos. They're a we are and, and so as we've been journeying through these, I hope you found them really helpful. Um, and this morning, my, I'm praying and trusting God that you'll find it helpful as well. So this morning, we are looking at being there for one another's success. This was something I heard Steve say many years ago, before it ever made it into print. And it was one of those things that you go, yes, I like that. That's kingdom. That's not world, that's kingdom, being there for somebody else's success. So the, the value says we desire friendship locally and internationally in our worldwide mission. We take responsibility for doing all that we can to ensure and enjoy each other's success through practical relationships. And I want to, to get into this value, I want us to look at Philippians 1 verse 27 through to 2 verse 11. I'm just going to read it out for us. It may magically appear behind me, but let's go from verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Are not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that not for the sake of Christ, that you suffer not, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, 
Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God, I love therefores in the Bible. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. I feel like I could get, kind of get down and we should just get into ministering to one another after reading a passage like that. What a great passage. And the truth is, we could preach most of the values of regions beyond from this passage. Because it's so rich and so full of wonderful truth. And, the, and if we get this church, if we allow this to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, it will transform not only our neighborhood, but our nation and the nations of the world. If we as God's people say yes and amen, and this is what I'm going to be, taking on the mind of Christ. I need to stay to my notes. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. Sorry, I am quirky. I, I didn't realize this until recently. Gareth Wales, any of you know Gareth? He introduced me to the church for the first time as, this is Simon, he's quite quirky. And I didn't realize I was quirky until I realized I was quirky. And so my sense of humor is quirky. Um, my dress code generally is quite good today, but not often is quirky. And so please, if... I'll try and be as normal as I can be, um, but I am quirky. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. And you'll notice he's not particularly worried about his own circumstances. His biggest concern is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing in Philippi? Come on, church, what's going on? And he's become aware of some disunity that's kind of creeping into the church. And so much of this letter is about speaking into the unity in the church. It's calling the church on from where they are to where Paul's saying, this is who you are, church. Now get on and be church. And he's encouraging them to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The, the key there, you know, Together, standing side by side. You see, face-to-face is confrontational, isn't it? When you're standing face-to-face with someone, you're generally puffing out the chest. You're generally making yourself as big as you can because there's a confrontation in face-to-face. But standing side by side, there's equality. There's There's a brother. I used to play a lot of rugby. That was part of why my life was so messed up, actually. Nothing to do with rugby, just my own priorities. But we were, you would stand side by side. And I was in the forwards. So if you know rugby, we're the lucky ones that get to cuddle when it's cold. And we would, we, but the cuddles would be nice and tight. And we would bind together and we'd stand side by side. You can't bind with your, your teammates face to face. You have to bind side by side. But what you do is you go head to head with the opposition. And so, but when you're binding tightly, side by side, there's a unity there, there's a coming together there, and there's a strength there. And as we strive forward, side by side, if, we, if this was half-hearted, they were just, the opposition would just drive straight through us. So there's this beautiful picture that Paul is using rugby to, to communicate <laughs> about the unity of Christ and the unity of God's people when they come together. And he's basically saying, guys, if, you, if you're in Christ then you need to be there for one another's success. And ultimately that begins and ends with friendship. 
It's why this value speaks of friendship locally and internationally. I thank God that we've been birthed not only into local church, and I love local church, but that he's joined us together in hearts and with minds and in one spirit with churches all over the world. Some places I will never visit and some places I've had the privilege of visiting. But there's a sense of unity and a togetherness. And those that went to the hub this last few months ago, uh, last month, would see that it's displayed through friendship, through brothers and sisters coming together from completely different backgrounds and different cultures and different churches and different settings going, we're one in Christ. Your mission is the same as my mission. We're on mission together to see this gospel advance to the ends of the earth. You've heard that wonderful phrase, haven't you? You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, God's placed us in family and he's called us to be friends as well. He's called us to be friends as well. There is truth in family, but the truth is, often, sadly, family is full of division. It's full of conflict. It's full of face-to-face, not side-by-side. And the family of God can be like that, but Jesus is saying, you're not to be like that. You're to be side-by-side. I've called you to be friends as well. To journey life together. To laugh together. To celebrate together. To cry together. To strive together to mourn together. And it's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. You can kind of just take this on face value and go, oh, being there for one another's success, well, that's great. That's nice, warm and fuzzy. Great, they're all... It's not that. This is, this is mission. This is called... We're called to... This is a spiritual weapon in our arsenal against the enemy, against the principalities of this world, that friendship, true friendship in Christ, is a powerful weapon against the schemes of the enemy when we're joined together, which is why, church, friendship so often is under the cosh. So often friendship in the church is, it gets attacked and division comes in and we get the hump with one another. We get the hump with a leader because they're not the kind of leader we want. You can remind New Life of this as well. Um, but the, you get the hump, we get upset, we get offended and we go, do you know what? <clears throat> Blank, I'm off. And we get the hump and the enemy goes, that's one nil. Because I've brought division into this people of God. Psalm 133 says, where brothers dwell in unity, God commands a blessing. I recently had somebody come to me at church and say, why are we speaking about unity so much? Is there a problem? I said, no, but we speak about unity so much so that there won't be one. Because, and I'm glad that they're recognizing we speak about unity a lot because that's how God has called us to be. Do you know what? True friendship does require us to take off the blinkers of our own lives and to look to the lives of others, to be aware of what is going on in and around us. And as I said, I'm passionate about local community. And when I first met Steve Oliver, um, I think he saw that. I mean, it it probably wasn't the first time I met him, but it was the first time I think I was on his radar. Um, Because he came to Gateway Church um, when I was being made an elder. And he, just a short interaction with him, I think he realized very quickly I was a blinkered leader. And what I mean by that is I was very passionate about local church. I was very passionate about the things I was involved in. So children's work and youth work and small groups. Man, this was my world. And Steve went, but look, there's, there's this here as well. There's this, but there's this. And he did this wonderful thing. We're sitting in a room of about 40, 50, no, not even that, 30, 40 people. And he said, look, guys, 
Um, we need to sort this guy out. I'm paraphrasing. Um, I want to take him to Dubai and to South Africa just to show him the, the world and um, show him the nation, show him what God's doing. Um, you're all going to pay for it. So if you wouldn't mind just taking whatever cash you've got in your pockets, writing IOUs. And it, I mean, it's exactly what happened. And in that moment, I wanted the ground to open up and swallow me up because I hate those, those sort of, I'm standing there with, I'm not, I'm not even sure why I've got my eyes shut and my hands out, but I'm like, this seems like the safest place to be. As all the, I don't want to make eye contact with anyone because I don't want them to feel guilty that they have to put money in to pay for me to go on a holiday. But, um, it, it, but, it, but what happened, it was literally, I think we flew out on the Thursday night. And it was the real, I mean, talk about a ragtag group, uh, group of people. I mean, none of us knew why we were there. Um, Steve had just done what he did in Gateway across the nations and had pulled together a bunch of crazy people really I mean there were there was some of us from the UK there were Indians there were guys from Dubai um I can't even remember there was a Filipino and we're all going so what what are we here for I don't know we're not digging a hole we're not building a wall you know that's what you kind of think mission is when you go to another nation but Steve just just come and be just come and be yourselves and as we're journeying this thing all together wondering what we're doing we're in Dubai for Friday and then we flew to South Africa on the Saturday, and I was back in the UK by Tuesday. So it was a real kind of like whistle-stop tour. Um, but what happened is suddenly I'm with people who I would never have met before. But, man, there's this little dude who's about this tall, an Indian guy. I've never really met an Indian before. Not like this, not on friendship. He had a little moustache. He was 50 years old. <laughs> And there I am, Mr. kind of mid-30s-ish, very tall, um, very white. And uh, we hit it off. Like, you wouldn't believe the most unlikely of friendships. And then I met Craig D'Souza, who leads worship at Fusion. Again, another plug for Fusion. Um, but, and we hit it off. And suddenly I've got friends who are not like me. Their worldview is completely different to my worldview. Their way of thinking about church is completely different to the way of me thinking about church. But yet, God's joined us together in friendship. Fast forward six months, an email drops into the, into the mailbox from Franco. This is his name, Franco Lonapan, leads One Nation Church in Mumbai, part of Regions Beyond. And he's, in this email, it's very simple. He just says, help. Um, I need a couple to come over to Mumbai to help me with youth work. Please help. Forward on to anybody in your church. And so this is a long story which I will fast forward through. But a long story short, I have never been called to the nations. I know the Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations. But in my mind, I've never been called to the nations. We honeymooned in Cornwall. Okay, We are not nations people. But yet, what happened in that moment, I read this email and something went off in my heart. And it wasn't, oh yes, we can go to India. It was, man, my friend needs some help. And we're rich in Gateway. We've got five or six elders. They're, they're all really competent guys, and there's me. And I'm like, I, we, we could go. I, don't, I never thought we'd go to India, but my friend needs some help. I wonder if we could help. And then there's a long story, which if you're really struggling for things to talk about at tea and coffee, come and ask us, and I'll fill you in. But we ended up moving out there, and it was a response to friendship, not necessarily to what God had done in our hearts in that sense. It wasn't like, oh, we're going because we're called. We're going because our friend needs help, and we want to be there for his success. And it was a wonderful moment. Anyway, in this passage, Paul is encouraging the church to approach their friendships together in light of who they are in Christ. 
Okay, he's saying, look, this is who you are in Christ, and now approach your friendships like this. And he's really practical. He says, look, stand firm in one spirit and one mind. Strive side by side for the gospel. Don't fear opposition or suffering. Have the same love of Christ. Be humble. Think of others. They're really helpful signposts as to how we're doing in our friendships, aren't they? But then there's this, what I've called the poison in the, in the ointment of this being there for one another's success in verse 3. Where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And James 3 talks about not having bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in our hearts because it's like a poison to relationships. Selfishness is like an epidemic in our society, isn't it? It's an epidemic in our society. And we can all be guilty of approaching life with that wonderful anthem, it's all about me, Jesus, and all this is for me. And we have this selfish heart sometimes where we go, do you know what, actually, what, what, where, what's in it for me? You know, and you only have to, if you even glimpse on social media, you see this me-centric society that we live in. Did anyone catch Michael McIntyre last night? And that girl who was suddenly surprised with, you know, this, you're going to be the unlikely star. I've never seen it before, but Mark and Jackie watch it all the time. Um, No, they don't really. And the moment, the moment she was surprised, literally it happened like this. The wall came down, surprise, <gasps> quick, get my phone out, I want to video myself being surprised. I mean, it literally, it le- I mean, it was outstanding, wasn't it? It was like, wow, we, we can just live this, we can, and we can believe that sometimes we're better. You know, oh, it's just, it'll be better if I just do it myself. Why would I let you do it? I'll do it myself. Or we can think, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it this way. Or, you know, do you know what I mean? We can have this kind of attitude that, you know, even though they've tried it better, they could do it, you know, I could do it better than they have. And even that selfish ambition, or selfish, yeah, that selfish ambition, we've got to be careful. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That includes the good stuff. Because we can do good stuff, can't we? But the selfish ambition is, yeah, I bet they'll notice I've done this. I bet they'll see that I put the chairs out this morning. I bet I'm in for a thank you card from that one because I gave them a meal. And it was the best meal they've ever tasted. And we can sometimes, we, 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 we want to be thanked. We want to have a like for like. We want to get some kind of reward in friendships because we're doing more than we should in this friendship. I'm the one that is always calling you to ask you how you're doing. You never call me to ask me how I'm doing. Man, that's selfishness. We've got to be willing to, to die to that stuff just to love one another as Christ has first has loved us. And often that means it's one way. But it's the way it rolls. Sorry, I would like to tell you it's something different, but it really isn't. And the truth is we often, we do desire significance, don't we? I don't know about you, I desire there's an element of significance in my life. I want to be significant. I want, to, I want my life to count. For something, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, and sometimes we can look for significance in our job or in our role in church. I'm a preacher, you know, or we, we can think of significance in how much money is in my bank account. How big is my house? How nice is my car? How pretty is my wife? How handsome is my husband? We can find significance in those things. And the truth is, actually, they count for nothing in the grand scheme of God. If our security and our significance is found in anything other than Jesus, it is fleeting and is self-centered. 
I love traveling to other places you can say it and then get on a ferry and go home and, um, and delete it off the internet. But it's true. If we're 100% secure in him, if we're more concerned about what he thinks than what our neighbor thinks, our neighbor who we chances are we don't even really like them, but yet we're more worried about what they think than what our, our Lord and Savior thinks. But if we're more concerned with what our Lord and Savior thinks, if we're more concerned about living a life that glorifies him, then actually our, our success or our failures pale into insignificance. They don't really matter because it's about um, glorifying him. Do you know, I'll never forget my father-in-law saying to me, is knowing Jesus enough for you? If you never did, fill in the blank again, is knowing Jesus enough for you? If you never preached again, if you never served in children's work again, if you never led worship again, if you never X, Y, Z, fill in whatever it is you find an element of, of satisfaction from, if you never did that again, is knowing Jesus enough for you? Do you know the kingdom economics mean that actually the last will be first? The poor will be rich. The, the servant will be esteemed. Now, this is the kingdom economics. It's not actually the, the, the more successful you are in life, the more reward you're going to get in heaven. It's actually the, completely the opposite. If you're willing to die against those things, actually you'll be risen up as a co-heir with Christ and, be, and have heavenly riches. It's radical, upside-down thinking. Not to somehow promote myself or my ability, but to encourage others, to count them more significant than myself. Church, it's time to scrap superficial friendships in the kingdom of God. There's no time for them. It's time to invest in this family that God has placed you in. Time to look around and ask yourself, what can I do to ensure my brother or my sister's success in the kingdom of God? Because we can all play our part in those things. And friendship takes, an, it takes time. It takes investment. Like I said, I'm so thankful that Mark and Jackie just poured and poured and poured into me. And it took time. And it took disagreements and misunderstandings. And it took forgiveness. And it took repentance. But it takes time. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Do you know, when we take our eyes off ourselves. And put our eyes on others and on our King Jesus. We will reset the culture of, the, of this church and of this neighborhood and of this nation and of the nations of the world. It's a culture resetting thing. Because Paul goes on into verse 4 saying, Let each of you look not to his own interests but to the interests of others. Having this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Pause there. Because this isn't a try-harder message, what I'm preaching to us this, evening, uh, this morning. Why did I say this evening? Anyway, I'm obviously tired. Um, it's not a try-harder message. You know the message of grace. We've been wonderfully, Hannah and the, the, the band led us so beautifully into that understanding of grace and the love of the Father. And even the contributions just confirmed this for us. It's great. This is not a try-harder message. But Paul is reminding the church in Philippi and he's reminding us today that being there for the success of others, but being able to think of others before yourself, is a mind that is already ours in Christ Jesus. 
It's our, very des- it's our very identity. It's who we were and who we are once we were baptized into Jesus. Because he takes our vision from ourselves and lifts our gaze to him. And when we see how Jesus lives, we know how to we should be living. And it's it. The, the, the scripture says, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not it will be yours, or if you do this, that, and the other, then maybe you might attain to have it. It's already yours. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have this mind. And who better to model being there for one another's success than Jesus himself? Who better? Listen to this in verse 6. Though he, Jesus Christ, was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ, God, the one who was, who is, and is to come. The one who all things were created by him and for him. There'll be no one before him. And there'll be no one after him. His name is the name that is above every other name. There is no other name that has more power than the name of Jesus Christ. And what does he do when he sees us in our squalor? When he sees us in in our sin? He empties himself. He empties himself and he takes on the form of a servant and is born into the likeness of men. And as we're reminded in this season, as we're just about to celebrate, born into poverty. Born to a, born to a no one in a nowhere place. Only to be obedient to death. Even death on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we may become the righteousness of God. And sin is everything we've ever thought, said or done that is against God's heart. Past, present, and future. And it separates us from God. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he's made a way for you and for I to know God and to receive this forgiveness and this love that we've been celebrating about this morning. And to know fullness of life now and eternity with the Father. Jesus gave up his earthly glory, but he received an eternal glory not just for him but for all of those of us who call him savior what a fantastic life-changing destiny altering thing for our lord and savior to do for us bible commentator alex moitier says this was the mind of christ he looked at himself he looked at the father and he looked at us right now and for obedience sake and for sinner's sake he held Nothing back. And what was the father, what was father God's response to his son's obedience? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And just in case you wondered if that meant every knee, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, so that is, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. 
Francis Fawkes says, the way appointed by the Father was, was giving, not getting. Sacrifice and humiliation, not taking advantage of one's position. This is the way Jesus went and the way we're called to follow him. We should be willing, church, to give up our very lives for the benefit of others. To walk the way Jesus walked. And we live in a culture that says the opposite. We live in a culture that says, no, it's all about you. If it makes you feel good, if it makes you feel happy, then you do it. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, you do it. Church, we're to be the complete opposite. Will you release your plans and live not for yourself, but for the glory of God? Will you lay down your life for the benefit of others? Will you trust God to promote you when he sees fit, whether that's in this life or the next? I, one of the things I love to do, it's one of my passions outside of church and family, is something called obstacle course racing or OCR to those in the know. And, it, and it's basically an excuse to just get really muddy and wet and climb around and be like a kid again, okay? And these are races over 5K, 10K, 10 mile, 20 mile. And really, some of them are geared towards the individual. And you'll see there's a completely different mentality at the start line. There's this kind of, I'm going for me. I'm going to smash this. I'm going to get a position. And then some of them are geared towards teams. In fact, it's almost impossible to complete some of the obstacles without having two or three other people there to help you. And there's a completely different vibe at at the start lines of these things. There's a lot more fun, I can tell you, at the team ones than there are at the races. And there's particular, there's there's these 10-foot walls and there's something called a pyramid scheme where actually it's impossible for you to get over those things without the help of others. And because I'm tall, and because I want to be like Christ, I often find myself at the bottom of these things. And the truth is, you'll stand there and you, I mean, Fiona, my wife, is often despairing of me because she sees the pictures come through and she's like, is that you at the bottom? I'm like, yeah, that's me at the bottom. And, you know, someone will put their foot on your knee and then they'll climb up, they'll get their feet on their shoulders. And these are not nice and smooth running shoes. These are kind of ones with big nodules on them so that people can run on the mud quite comfortably. And you get, you know, get kicked in the head as people are trying to, standing on your head, you get people sitting on your head. And it's painful and it's muddy and it's dirty. And it's like, and, and actually, but what a wonderful, picture of servanthood in the church is that actually often we can we we need to be willing to be those at the bottom to say here take let me give you a leg up let me help you to succeed in this thing that God has placed before you because actually your success is my success as you celebrate your success so I can celebrate your success as well because I'm helping you on the way and I'm not looking for glory in fact sometimes the really rude ones don't even say thank you and they stand on your shoulders, and they're off, and they run off. And you think, ah, oh. but I don't do it for the thanks. Obviously, we don't do it for the thanks. <laughs> Joe, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is John 13, three, uh, 34 to 35. Jesus saying to his disciples, look, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See, this value isn't just about making us feel good and knowing that there are people there for our success. It's actually, it's missional. 
It's missional. By this, by your love for one another, by your willingness to be there for one another's success, they will know you're my disciples. They, who are they? Anybody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. They'll see it. They'll see it in us. They'll see our love for one another. They'll see our desire for one another's success. And they'll go, what is that? Why is that? Why is it you, you would rather see them get promoted over you getting promoted? I don't get it. Well, that's my Lord and Saviour. We demonstrate kingdom values through this wonderful thing. John goes on, doesn't he, in verse 15 to say, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, because greater love is no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friends. What love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 says, really famous passage, don't relegate it to weddings, okay? Because this, this is the problem. Sometimes we become so familiar with scripture, we relegate it to weddings or we relegate it to kids' work. Man, the story of Zacchaeus transformed my life and I'm not kidding you. When you suddenly get that story, you go, man, why do we just think that's something that we teach in, kids, in, the, in the kids' Sunday school? This is stuff that's so relevant to us. But 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 8, don't relegate this to weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love is costly. This value is costly if we want to be there for one, one another's success. Because can you replace your name with love in that passage? And can you put another name at the end? Simon is patient with his wife Fiona. Simon is kind to Ashley. Simon does not envy Mark. Simon does not insist on his own way. These are great moments of revelation when you go, I'm called to love and this is what love looks like and then practically it works out like this. God help me. God help me. And he does and he promises that. I want to finish with making 10 statements which if you were at the hub, you would have heard Daniel, um, and if you've listened to the recording as well, you would have heard Daniel McLeod bring these statements. And when I, when I heard, A, what passage he was preaching on, I was like, man, I'm preaching on that passage. And then when I heard these values, I thought, I can't, I can't do better than that. I'm going to read them out as well. So I completely give him all the credit for these things. But just listen to this. This is what, actually what it looks like for the people of God if we get hold of this wonderful truth. Number one, we would be a people who take on jobs we don't want to do if it means the church will thrive. Jesus took on a job that he didn't want to do. He said to his father, would you, could you take this away from me? But not my will and your will be done. And if Jesus can do it, my goodness, so can we. Number two, a people who say sorry quickly and often not waiting for the other to apologize, whether we've intentionally or unintentionally upset one another. Be quick to apologize. Don't allow pride to creep in, because that is destructive. Number three, are people who won't easily be offended. Someone once said, offense is taken, not given. Hmm. Number four, are people who talk well of each other, 
behind their back. Because it can often be easy to talk kindly of somebody when they're there face to face with you or side by side. But actually behind their back, to talk well of each other behind their back. A people who use our gifts to build up the church, not our own self-worth or self-esteem. A people who are happy for our names to be forgotten. George Whitfield, a gifted preacher and evangelist who, who preached to an estimated 10 million people in his lifetime, which is outstanding, isn't it? He said this, let the name of Whitfield perish, but Christ be glorified. Let my name die everywhere. Let even my friends forget me, if by that means the cause of the blessed Jesus may be promoted. But what is Calvin or what is Luther? Let us look above names and parties. Let Jesus be our all and all, so that he is preached. I care not who is upmost. I know my place, even to the servant of all. Beautiful. A people who are not who do not, do not have to defend our reputation, even when we're misunderstood. That quote George Whitfield goes on to say, "I'm content." to wait until the judgment day for the clearing up of my reputation. (laughs) And after I'm dead, I desire no other epitaph than this. Here lies GW. What sort of man he was? The great day will discover. (laughs) There's confidence. Number eight, a people who are happy to give our position to another. I often ask those in the church that I'm caring for, I often ask them, who's going to replace you? which can seem quite negative, um, but that's the mentality we need to be having. Who am I going to hand this on to? Who am I raising up who's going to take on my small group? Who am I raising up who's going to take on the the, the silent servers in the church? Those that do stuff that nobody else knows they do. The chairs don't magically appear. The communion doesn't magically appear. But whoever's doing this, who are you raising up to catch that heart and that mind as well? Be willing to give up your position to another. And it was such a privilege um, back in November last year when, when Ray Lowe and Gareth Wales and myself were all standing together, 40 years of church, as New Life Church, and Ray, 20 years after leading it, handed it on to Gareth, and then 20 years after Gareth leading it, handed it on to me, so I got a 20-year contract, hallelujah. But, <laughs> but to see that, that handing on of leadership and I know my success at New Life isn't on how many bums we get on the seat am I allowed to say bums on the Isle of Wight I just did my success is who am I handing this on to who 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 can I say there you go be faithful with the the people of God that have that are gathered here in Biggin Hill number nine are people who celebrate the success of others publicly in front of them and behind their backs. When we see people doing well, let's celebrate that, even if they're doing something better than you would do it. Let's celebrate one another. And are people who are happy to serve, even when we're not noticed. Because churches all over the world are built by silent servers. We stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us, whose names have been forgotten, but who have faithfully been faithful with what God has placed in their hand. And the key with fruitfulness is faithfulness. If we're faithful with what God's entrusted to us, he'll make us fruitful. So what has God entrusted to you, church? Apex Church, the success of a local church is dependent on our unity together 
as a local church, being there for the success of others. And when the people of God get hold of these things, nothing will stand in the way of gospel advance. We will reset the culture in the church and in the kingdom of God and as we live our lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will see transformation of this island, of this nation, of the nations of the world as we walk in the good of this. Because look around you guys, this is it. This is it. This is who God has chosen to transform this island and beyond. Give yourself afresh to one another. Give yourself afresh to the success of one another whilst fixing your eyes on Jesus and being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen.